Welcome, and thanks for listening to the Harvest Lakeshore Sermon Podcast. For more information about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org. Jonah chapter 3 says, then the, Lord, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey into breadth, in the breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reaching the king of Nineveh, the word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let him call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil, his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent, so, and tur- turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of, their di- of dis- the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thanks, Maggie. Our tech team told Maggie she was allowed to say thanks, Dad, for making me read 10 Bible verses you know, on the Sunday that I get to read. So thanks, Mags, for doing that. I'm so grateful that we love God's word and our church. So grateful for all that Sarah's doing in Harvest Kids uh, to point the kids to God's word and all of you that are serving there. Well, this week, as uh, we just kind of navigated normal week, our family uh, got to discover afresh the wonders of the check engine light. I don't know if you've had those kind of situations. So, you know, we had a situation where, you know, Angie's in uh, South Bend, got some uh, appointments she and Maggie are going to, and she just kind of calls and says, hey, the check engine light came on. My first reaction was kind of like, hey, is there anything going on? Any, any functioning of the car that seems odd? She's like, no. I'm like, oh, it's probably going to be fine. Uh, why don't you just, you know, finish what you got to do and come home? So they do, you know, nothing happens. And then the next day, Angie and I actually have to go back to South Bend for some other appointments that we had scheduled like a year ago. And of course, as we get in the car with like two minutes to spare and I turn the key and it just like, it's just like, okay. Well, the end of the story is thankfully it was only a, a battery. And so we have a new battery in our vehicle. And so it wasn't anything more drastic. But I'm sure some of you have your own check engine light stories, right? And we have a couple of options when the check engine light comes on. We can be like, ah, it's not really a big deal. I'm not going to do anything about it. Uh, Or we can do something about it and and discover what's going on there. Now, I know that some of us, we might have cars that the check engine light is perpetually on, and it really means nothing, or it just means that our car is is being held together by God's angels, right? Uh, and, And that's just the reality, but, you know, in a, in a typical functioning car, we, we can choose to do something about it, check it out, or, or not. And as we come to this passage this morning, 
Jonah is actually like playing the role of the check engine light for the Ninevites. And even for the, for the people of Nineveh, but obviously for a far greater reason, because the people of Nineveh are going to experience a coming danger that is beyond their comprehension. So the check engine light or the message of warning, what the check engine light is supposed to do is actually something that is merciful. We don't always think of that because it's a message of mercy so that we can know that something's going to happen and do something about it. So we're going to see God, how God uses imperfect messengers to share this message of mercy as we go through the chapter uh, this morning. But before we do, let's pray. Father, we need your help. We need your help to see some amazing truths in your word, but we need your help to be messengers of mercy. We need to be amazed at the mercy that's been shown to us so that when we're given the opportunity, Lord, we would, we would share the message of mercy uh, so that your name would be praised and that people would come to faith in Christ. We ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. So we're going to look at a few observations this morning uh, about God's messengers of mercy. God calls his servants to share the message of mercy. So let's first look at it here at verse one. Actually, flip back in your Bibles to the first two verses of Jonah, Jonah 1, 1 and 2. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Jonah was called initially and again to share a message, a message of warning. And God calls us to share a message of warning. Now, there are going to be, there are some differences between what God calls us to share and what God calls Jonah to share, but there are some similarities. And as we go through, we're going to kind of see some of those differences and similarities. And so here's some observations. I want to look at five observations of, about God's messengers of mercy. The first one is this. God uses imperfect messengers. So back to chapter 3, verse 1, says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. The second time. So obviously, as we've learned, as we've come through Jonah, that God had called Jonah to, to share this message of mercy, and he didn't do it, right? He's, he went the other direction, got in a boat, God sends a storm, and rather than saying, hey, everyone on the ship, uh, to avoid this storm, why don't we turn back and go the other way that we came from, because this is what I'm supposed to do. You know, he says, throw me in the water, and so they eventually relent. They throw him in the water, and it's, it goes peaceful. Uh, they see who God is. They come to know the Lord, but then Jonah is going down into the depths, and God then saves him by sending a fish, right? And then God uh, softens Jonah's heart and Jonah prays because in that moment, as he's in the fish, as we learned last week, he sees God's mercy for himself. Now, we're not entirely certain if he completely sees God's mercy for others, but it changes his heart enough that after he's delivered from the fish and spit up onto uh, dry land, he goes and he's gonna go share this message. God, God was always with Jonah. He never deserted Jonah. Even though he was disobedient, and God never deserts you. 
God wants to use you. Just like God wanted to use Jonah, even though he was for a season running the other way, you may have found yourself in that place. You may find yourself in a place where you struggle even with sharing the gospel with other people. You don't, you don't really know. And you might be like, yep, I've kind of missed my opportunity. God's done with me. No, that's just not true. Joshua uh, and, and Hebrews refer to uh, God saying, I will never leave you or forsake you. In Isaiah 43, 2, it says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. That is true all the time. Not just like when you're doing the right things. It's all the time. He's with you. The disciples, fishermen to tax collectors, they were used to share God's message. God not only uses broken people, but he uses people that have rejected him. So you have not lost your chance or your opportunity, even if you're struggling. God, God uses imperfect messengers. Number two, God calls his messengers to share a specific message. So it says, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So as we have already you know, just look back. The message that he was called to share was one of a coming judgment that was coming upon Nineveh. And though we know God wants them to repent, we kind of see that happen as Maggie's already read in the story that they do repent. Jonah doesn't actually say that in his message. He doesn't call them to repent. Jonah says, you are going to be judged. Now, our message is different. Our message has similarities, but it's different. We're not just to call, go out and go, hey, America, God is going to judge you. Actually, he's just going to burn America to the ground. And that's it. I always say it. That's not what God calls us to do. Though I know there's consequences to sin and not following God's good design, we are called to share God's gospel, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life, who went to the cross. It was about his life, his death. He went to the, the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. He rose from the dead, and he is now seated at God's right hand, and he's coming back. That whole thing, that makes a difference. That's the message that we are called to share, and many churches have substituted other messages for the message that they proclaim. Maybe they've substituted the prosperity gospel. Our best life is right now. We, God's going to do good for, things for you. He loves you, and that means he's going to give you stuff. That's not the message of the gospel. Might be, well, we just need to go do good things. Now, absolutely, if God has transformed your life through the power of the gospel, it should mean we go do good things or share mercy or serve or, or care or sacrifice ourselves. But we must have the gospel. now. And there's some places that just don't preach the gospel at all. Everything's good. Like, it's totally fine. Believe whatever you want to believe. Uh, it's totally fine. We accept everybody. It's a message of acceptance in the sense of, no, it doesn't really matter what the message is. Believe whatever you want. You can come here. That's not what God calls the local church to do. The gospel message is specific, and it's essential. The redemption, our redemption is central to who we are and what we do. So we're called to share a specific message, as Jonah was called to share a specific message. Now, sharing that message comes at a cost. 
It came at a cost for Jonah. Look at verse three. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days journey in breadth. Now Jonah wasn't just going to a city. He was kind of going to the the big apple of Assyria, but even far worse than the big apple. Because we can think of like large cities uh, being uh, very pagan and they're thinking and godless, but we just don't have cities that would have reflected what Nineveh would have reflected. First off, Nineveh was large as a part in, in in regards to the day and time in which Jonah was. So the circumference of the city was about 60 miles. There were about 120,000 people that lived there. That doesn't seem like a lot compared to cities that we have now, but that was massive city back then. One of the walls of the city had the circumference of eight miles and boasted 1,500 towers. But it was a great city not just because of its size, It was known as a great city because of its dominance of other people. Nineveh was known for being violent and merciless. One commentator said they impaled live victims with sharp poles, leaving them to roast to death in the desert sun. They beheaded people by the thousands and stacked their skulls up in piles by the city gates. And they even skinned people alive. They respected neither age nor sex and followed a policy of killing babies and young children so they wouldn't have to care for them. God sent Jonah to this wicked city. It was dangerous. There's no question about it someone who would have been known to be from the nation of Israel going into enemy territory, sharing a message that would not have been easy to share. It may have even taken Jonah as much as a month to travel there as he, as he walked there by land to get there. So he would have had the opportunity to think about, again, what, where he was going and what he was going to have to say. But here's the reality. God knows where the fields are ripe for harvest. And God often calls us to go to places we would not choose. But as we've referenced Psalm 139 a number of times as we've been in Jonah, we know that God knows everything about us. He goes before us. He hems us in behind and before. He lays his hand upon us. He, he knows all, all the particular details about our life. So we aren't alone, and he knows, even as he calls us to go to places that are hard. I was encouraged by stories from uh, Africans reaching Africa, the missionary organization that we support as a local church that sends missionaries into hard-to-reach places in West Africa. This is a report that came recently. Uh, Ten people came to Christ in the last month in one of the hottest, most hostile countries in West Africa. It wouldn't be wise for me to share the name of the country, and the ARA is there. But people have come to Christ in a hard place. That same country experienced a house fellowship that started in the past month with three families as they're seeking to build a local church there. 
That's happened because saints were willing to go into places that are dangerous, places that aren't comfortable, places that they wouldn't choose. I mean, this particular country they're talking about, oftentimes it gets down to the low temperature of like 110 overnight. And sometimes your nose bleeds just because it's so hot. But they're going there because there's a need for people to hear about Christ. Now, some of us may be called to go to far off lands and it's my prayer that God would would help us to raise up individuals that we could support that would go to places where the gospel has not been preached, where we can support folks that are, are doing that. But most of us aren't called to do that personally. I mean, if we all up and left right now, there wouldn't be ministry that would happen here. But there are some that are called to go and may this text stir us to go. Don't think it's just for young people. God can stir up people to mission, you know, in their 70s or 80s to go. You may even be more positioned because God's given you wisdom to go. So may he stir us to go. But, but even though we may not be called to go overseas or, or to move to another place in our country, that doesn't mean we're not called to go to hard places. Most of us are called to immerse ourselves in places where the message needs to be heard. So we may not be called to move our feet to a different place or move our house to a different place, but we are called to immerse ourselves in places. I mean, Jonah's immersing himself in a place. The place is three days journey, right? Day one, day two, day three to get across it. And so he's a whole day in. He's in the midst of that place as he's sharing the message. He's not standing on the outside edge just going, hey, by the way, I'm just going to, I'm going to loft some stuff up in there. Maybe you'll hear the message. No, he gets right into it. Where is God calling you to immerse yourself? Where's God calling you to immerse yourself? Some of you are already immersed. You're immersed in cultures. Like you go someplace to work and there's people that sit next to you or you work next to. So you are immersed in some places, but there may be other places where we're just like, yeah, it's, it's gonna be work for me to get out of my normal rhythms of life. Yes, we should focus on reaching people in our normal rhythms of life. And that is something we can be praying for, but we wanna be open. Is God calling me to go someplace that's just hard? Because we're called, as 2 Corinthians says, for we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Now, friends, the only way that, that people will smell the aroma of Christ is if we get close enough for them to smell it. Now, it's not your body odor. Yes, you should take a shower. Absolutely, we should brush our teeth. I think that's helpful, right? Those things that we've learned. I don't want to be offensive because of my odor. I want the gospel to be the thing that's offensive, if anything is offensive, 
but yet we are the aroma of Christ and we have to be close to those so they can smell that aroma. We need to be around them, not just a passing aroma. Like when you pass some of the fruit orchards and things, when they're ripe, you kind of smell them in season, but you don't really stop and, and take it in unless you stop and take it in. And so we have to be close. So God, God calls us to places that, that it's going to cost us to share the message. Where, where is that? Where is God calling you to share? And as you share, it's going to be hard as you share. Because the message isn't just one of like, it's really nice and easy. I mean, everybody would be sharing the gospel if it was just every, everything's going to be just so nice and easy. I have some good news for you. And, and, and it's just going to be super easy for you in your life. No, he calls us to share bad news. This is where we're kind of similar to Jonah. Jonah, look at verse 4. Jonah began to go into the city going a day's journey, and he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's bad news. I mean, this is a city that's filled with people that are used to conquering people and doing it in a vicious way. And Jonah is calling out and saying, you are going to be overthrown. That's not going to be met with kind of love and encouragement, you wouldn't think. But Jonah didn't go to Nineveh to start a humanitarian effort or to become a social worker. Jonah came to preach about the threat of divine judgment. And though our message does have some differences, it does have some similarities because we, we're called to share the bad news of divine judgment. And it's hard to share that bad news. I mean, there, it is wonderful that we have a holy God that we sing to every Sunday when we gather. He's holy, holy, holy. Holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. He's holy. But because he is holy, he, he can't exist with sin. He, can't, he wouldn't be just if he allowed sin to continue, if he, if he allowed things to go in a direction that he didn't create this world to be. He wouldn't be a just God. So we do serve a just God who does carry out justice, and divine wrath is real and necessary. And so we need to share that truth because it's, it's hard to receive. And I know it's hard to receive because we live in a culture and a context and it's not just our culture. You can go in lots of places in this world where they're going to tell you it's not loving to share bad news. Don't, don't tell me something that's going to make me feel bad or make me think bad things. No, don't tell me anything bad. That's, that's not loving to share bad news. They would think the idea of sharing about the danger of hell is unloving. But there, there's reality. Sharing the bad news is the most loving thing that you can do. Think about, think about a doctor. Think about the doctors who have the very hard job of sitting down with individuals and telling them they have some terminal illness, cancer or something else. That's a hard job. I respect them for what they have to do, the men and women that do that. I've had the privilege of being in the presence of individuals when they hear that news. It's sobering. But why is that a good thing for them to do? 
Because if they share that news of what is going on, that means there are options that they can go to to look towards treatment and potential healing. Now, that doesn't mean that every single person who hears that message finds a treatment that, that brings absolute complete healing and restoration. But it certainly opens the door for that to happen. And if that doctor doesn't share that news, if that doctor says, no, I don't want to share this hard news, this is going to be too hard to have. In fact, when I see them, I'm just going to be like, hey, everything is fine. You know, there's a few things that I saw in there, but you're going to be fine. Just go live your life the way that it is. No, that would not be loving. Because there are, there are options to take steps forward. And how much more of a greater truth do we have as we share the bad news which is bad because we're all guilty, but there's good news because Jesus Christ came in the flesh so that he could take upon himself the full and complete wrath of God. So there is a way. So you have to understand the bad news before you can understand that there's good news to hear. Because if we just go say, yeah, there's good news for you, and people don't realize the state that they're in, they'll just be like, yeah, Jesus is a nice guy. I mean, he wore a robe and he said nice things, right? He hugged trees. That's great. We have to share this hard news. But yet when we share the hard news, there is wonderful news because of what Christ has done. And we need to share the message because sharing the message is necessary so that others can be saved because that's what happens here in the text. Look at verse five. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The people believed God because a message was shared with them and they responded to that message. I mean, if, if you leave your finger in your Bible and you flip to chapter 10 of Romans, it says in verse 14, how then will they call upon him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And if you jump to verse 17, it says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. People need to hear the message to respond. I mean, I know some of you have heard the, the saying that's, that's attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, and sometimes it's attributed to other people, and there's a reality. We really don't know who said it. It says, preach the gospel when necessary, use words. Now, I don't necessarily disagree with that statement because... I believe the, the second half, when necessary, use words. Because it's always necessary to use words when sharing the gospel. Does that mean we shouldn't live, we should absolutely live lives that reflect the fact that we are redeemed and we've been part of God's family. We've been changed by the power of the gospel. Absolutely, we should live lives that are the aroma of Christ to God because that is the fruit of being saved but we are called to share the words of the gospel because not sharing the message means people won't get saved. Now, I know there are stories, maybe you've read of them in, in Muslim countries in, in recent decades where there are individuals that have had visions and dreams 
Like Paul had a vision of Christ coming to them and saying, you need to follow me. Even they heard the preaching of the message because Jesus spoke it to them. But we just don't have record of just people just coming to know Christ without hearing the message of salvation. And so there's something that God does as he uses us to, to share the gospel. Now we can be like Jonah and run the other way. Because this task seems overwhelming and oftentimes impossible. And I can see it in the eyes of believers every single time I bring up the subject of evangelism, outreach, what, whatever, whatever biblical term or church term that you want to put to it, but like sharing the gospel with other people, as soon as I say it, there's always, there's, it's almost like some people look at the floor, it's kind of hard, like, oh, this is really hard, and I know I'm not doing this, I already feel guilty that I'm not doing it. But this is what the Bible says, 2 Corinthians 3, 5. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. It's not about you and what you can do or should do. It's about the message. The power is in the message, not the messenger. So as we look at the call as what Jonah does, he goes and shares the message. It's not ultimately about him. It's about God and what God does. Paul says in Romans 1.16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So it's one thing in the Bible that's referred to as the power of God. Now God does work powerfully, but that message is the power of God. It doesn't say you, individual church member, you are the power of God. Certainly you have the Holy Spirit within you, but it's God's message that's the power. And the power is in the message, not in our presentation. Let's look at Jonah. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey in the first half of verse 4. And remember, we don't exactly know what Jonah's appearance looked like, but we can kind of guess Right? He spent three days in the belly of a fish. That's got to do something for your skin quality, right? He didn't have something to probably put ointment on. That had to change him. I can only imagine what that did to his clothes. I mean, he, he likely in that day didn't have a closet full of clothes he could go and pick. I'm, you know, I'm just going to go take a shower, clean up, and put on some fresh clothes. When you leave your clothes in the belly of a fish for three days, it probably does something. I worked at a pizza place in college, right? And the clothes that I wore to that pizza place, you know, Angie had them go one place when I was done working there, and that was in the trash because you could smell them. It didn't matter what you washed them in or with. They did not lose the aroma. I can only imagine what Jonah may have looked like or what he smelled like. It's not about the appearance. You don't have to look a certain way. We don't have to have it all together. And as he goes to share the message, so it says this, look at the second half of verse four again, and he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now in our Bibles, that's one, two, three, four, five, six, like eight, seven, eight words. In the original language, it's five words. Five words. 
You don't even need two hands to count the number of words that Jonah shared as he went to share this message. Five words is what he shared. Warren Wearsby said in the Hebrew text, there's only five words in Jonah's message, yet God used those five words to stir the entire population from the king on the throne to the lowest peasant in the field. God gave the people 40 days of grace, but they didn't need that long. We get the impression that from the very first time they saw Jonah and heard his warning, they paid attention to his message. Word spread quickly throughout the entire district, and the people humbled themselves by fasting and wearing sackcloth. This is, I think, the briefest prophetic warning in God's word that is shared that we see a response from people. And this happens in our day. I have a friend who worked for the Navigators in college. He uh, was a part of that ministry in college, kind of like Campus Crusade and other ministries. And then he went on staff and worked for them afterwards. And he told me a story once. He said, Jamie, as uh, you know, I did ministry, there's some crazy thing that I learned. There, let me tell you this story. Uh, one time that, that really sticks out, uh, quite a few people came to Christ after this one individual preached this message. I was like, oh, preach the message. Must have been really good. He goes, no, that's the crazy thing about it. Like the guy did a terrible job. He did. He even said some things I think were, were bad doctrine. He's like, it just, it was a poor presentation, bad doctrine, and all these people came to Christ. And I learned that day, it's not about the messenger. It's about the message of the gospel that's powerful. And that's true with you as you share the message. The power is in what you are bringing. And so it testifies to the power of the message, not the messenger. But also the powers in the message and not in our motives. Because we don't know Jonah's tone as he shared the message. As we read the book of Jonah, we can kind of See this picture? Okay, he's, he's gone into the belly of the fish. If I was in the belly of the fish, I think that would just completely transform me and I would be absolutely different for the rest of my life. I'd have compassion for people. You can point to times in your own life where you've gone through something hard, it's opened your eyes and you've been changed forever. So we just kind of assume that Jonah has changed and as he goes to share this, he's compassionate, but we don't necessarily have anything in the text that points us to that. And when we do know he did obey God and he went to share the message, but Jonah could very well have been like dancing up and down or he could have been like, God is going to judge you. And under his breath, I've hated you people. I hated you before and I hate you now. And here is the message that's coming. I'm so glad it's coming to you and not to me because I'm going to be done with this job pretty soon and you are going to be judged. It could have been that tone. We don't know for sure. But even if it was that way, we know what happened. And Jonah even testified to it himself in the last chapter when he said, salvation belongs to the Lord. Because people are going to come to Christ from all over. We learn that in Revelation 7. 
After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. John the Revelator knows, he sees what's being proclaimed because salvation comes from God and God alone. And we have to start in that place even before we go share the gospel. We need to start by believing that ourselves. Believing that apart from God's mercy, we would be lost. When we understand that, apart from God's mercy, we would be lost when we are undone done by that. We're going to be motivated to share the gospel, not out of some kind of duty, but it's going to be love that's going to motivate us because we realize what God has done to pursue us, the lengths that he went to pursue us, and we will go because we love. And that's our prayer that we would sow the seeds of this redemption of what Christ has done, and that would change us. Because as we've been pursued, we're called to pursue. And unfortunately, Jonah seemed to quickly forget the mercy that was extended to him. And we're going to learn that the next couple of weeks as we get into chapter 4. Because he has a, a response to this amazing conversion that happens that just baffles your mind. But repentance is a work of God. You don't have to force the message Look what happens. We're just going to read it again, starting in verse 5. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. So immediately as Jonah's sharing these five words, who knows what condition, they're just responding just in waves. And people start responding. And then then it reaches the king. So it doesn't start with the king. It starts elsewhere. We don't have to necessarily find the person of influence, although that happens sometimes. The wave comes, and the word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, the king of a powerful city in a powerful nation that crushed people. He gets up, and he's so affected by the message and how people are being affected. He gets up from his throne. He removes his robe, which would have given him all kinds of significance. He covers himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And ashes, and he issues a proclamation and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king of his nobles. Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. And let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way, from the violence that is in his hands. Like everything, even the animals, doesn't matter. Like we're just sweeping everything. Who knows, God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. I mean, even that last verse, we're not even quite sure where their hearts were at. That kind of has the feel of the sailors, right, on the ship where they're like praying out to any God. Just pray to your God, hopefully one of them. They realize we've got to do something. And even though they don't have the right understanding of things. People don't have to have a right understanding of everything to come to know Christ. You don't have to get them to a certain place. We don't have to wonder, okay, are they just, are they ready for me to share it in this? No, like 
They didn't even get it as they're, they're hearing it and this effect comes upon them because repentance is a work of God. God even works in the hearts of those that don't have an understanding. That's how something amazing like the gospel coming forward as you read the book of Acts goes from Jerusalem to Judea to the end of the earth. How in the world does that happen? God. That's how that happens. God does the work. Now Jesus spoke. Jesus spoke and sometimes people didn't listen. Sometimes, sometimes we, we share the message like in Jonah's case and people do respond. We can't predict the outcome. There's not a formula to it. We simply must be faithful to present the truth of the gospel because God wants to extend his mercy to those who don't deserve it because we didn't deserve it and he extended that mercy to us and mercy is extended to the undeserving and that's what happens that we see in verse 10. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. The judgment was coming. Now, let's not think that God changes his mind, because some, you could read this and go, well, God, God was going to do this, and then he, he changed his mind. So does that mean God can change his mind on other stuff? Like maybe he wants to change, maybe he wants to change his mind about me. If he changes his mind here, he can change his mind about me. But that's not, that's not what's going on here. Does God change his mind? Here's what Numbers 23, 19 says. God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? It looks like God changed his mind from a human perspective, but he didn't change his mind because he knew what would happen. He knew the message that needed to be proclaimed. He continued to pursue Jonah as he's pursuing Jonah. He's pursuing the people of Nineveh. He knew what was going to happen in his providence. He knew what was going to happen. He knew they, they would face his wrath if they didn't turn, but he knew that they would turn. We can kind of get a sense of this as we look at maybe parents who, who warn their children of things that would come if they're unwise, right? As parents, we warn our children, we want, hey, don't do this. It would be unwise. Like hard things are going to come upon you. We don't sit scheming of ways that we can punish our children. No, we're, our hope and expectation and our prayer is that they will respond but we aren't God and we display imperfections because there's a reality with parents in this life that we can take offense at our kids' sin and we can respond in ways that aren't helpful. So that's where kind of the illustration breaks down. But the hope is, the expectation is people are, that our children are gonna turn. And in this situation, the expectation was that the people would turn because God knew what would happen when he would send, Gen when he would send Jonah, a grumpy old man who's going to share this message with five words. The whole nation, the whole city rather, is going to get saved. So God's not realizing he's done something wrong. The expectation is change was going to happen because God doesn't change and his mercy is extended to those who don't deserve it. And the gospel is offered to everyone who will repent and believe. 
That's the message that we come to share. The coming judgment is real. But God has offered a way of escape in Christ, and you can trust in him. You can trust in him today. Friends, as we, as we close, remember, yeah, there's some similarities to us and Jonah and the message that we share, but, but Jonah didn't have good news to share. And some of these individuals may have turned out of fear more than out of faith. And if they found God's mercy without good news, how much more of a privilege do we have and a hope that we have to share the truth of the gospel where we share the bad news, but we share the good news of what Christ has done? How much more effective will we be? So as we go, remember, God, he's a holy God. And man came and we sinned and we rejected him. But then he sent his son, Jesus, who would live perfectly and go to the cross. So again, his birth, life, death, resurrection, and return are are important, and we call people to respond. And as we share the truth of God's mercy, I believe God's going to change people. I I know he has, and I know that he will. So we are called to be, to be the warning light. We're called to be the warning light in the midst of a generation that, that something is going to happen. So let's be that warning light. And we can trust that the gospel is the power of God. It's not about us. It's about him. Let's pray. Father, Father, there's a weightiness about the truth that we read here. There's a weightiness about sharing the message of the gospel. And I pray right now, Lord, that you would guard us against the enemy's voice who just wants to to say things to us in this moment and in the rest of the day and the weeks to come of guilt and shame. That's what the enemy wants to tell us. He wants us to be beaten down. The enemy wants us to say, well, we're going to go do this because it's going to give us a notch in our belt. And he wants us to do it in our own effort because he wants us to be discouraged and downcast and, and fail. But I pray, God, against the enemy's schemes. And I pray for us, Lord, that we would first just come to the place of sitting at your feet and being aware without having to go to the depths of the sea in the belly of a fish, let us be aware of your abundant mercy this morning, that you have pursued us and loved us. Let us be aware of that every single day. Would that that give us a vision of sharing this message of mercy with others? Lord, set us free to share the gospel. I ask that you do this, Lord, in our midst, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Lakeshore Sermon Podcast. Harvest Lakeshore exists to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. For more information about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org.